This is Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for a changing Virginia. I'm Arian Ballou. If you've had a U.S. history class, you've no doubt heard about machine politics. Tammany Hall, Boss Tweed. The best examples are right in the heart of New York City, of America's Gilded Age, an era synonymous with corruption in our nation's history. But as with every seedy side to America's past, Virginia has a piece of that pie as well. And like with everything Virginia, the Old Dominion puts its own southern gentleman spin on the whole machine politics affair. The Virginia way, if you will. See, this show is about documenting a political era in our state's government. It started with the 2020 election that saw both houses of the General Assembly go for the Democrats for the first time in political generations. But there was a time, back in the mid-20th century, when the idea of Republican control was a laughable long shot. That, of course, was the era of the Bird Machine. You've probably heard of Harry Bird, Virginia's former governor, former senator, the man who ran the state for 50 years. The era of the Bird Machine shaped Virginia's politics. That one-party control has left a mark on our government that we're still feeling today. To find out exactly how, I chatted with friend of the show Michael Pope. He's a statewide journalist, and he also wrote the book on the Bird Machine. It's called The Bird Machine in Virginia the rise and fall of a conservative political organization. The really interesting thing, one of the many interesting things about the bird machine is that it was not an urban political machine. It was a statewide political machine that got most of its power from rural locations. Um, So they kind of operated in the courthouses across Virginia. That was their power structure is kind of your local courthouse ring was essentially the local satellite office for the bird machine. Okay, so the bird machine runs Virginia politics from the start of the 20th century through around the 1960s. Uh, When you say that they worked through the courthouses, what exactly does that mean? So the local clerk of court, the local sheriff, the local commonwealth's attorney, these were the local power leaders. Um, And the person in your local courthouse who had the most power actually was the chief judge. So, I mean, if you think about political machines, they all political machines operate on patronage and electioneering. So controlling how elections work and then giving out patronage as a reaction to that. So in your local courthouse, the chief judge had all of these appointment powers. He would appoint the members of the electoral board. He would appoint the members of the school board. He would appoint so many people. He would appoint the the people who determine the salaries. Um, And so your local chief judge actually had all kinds of powers. And so he was like one of the chief people. And the the clerk of court was kind of the functionary. Um, And so they, like the most important thing for the machine was to determine the candidate for governor because as governor, Harry Byrd rearranged how the system works and imbued all of these powers into the governor's office. So Virginia actually has, I would argue, the most powerful governor in the United States, way more powerful than most states at the very least. Um, And, you know, there's this four-year once term, you know, once you're in, you, you know, you're out and uh, you can't run for a second consecutive term. You've only got that four years to be governor and you kind of can't make a comeback, but that's very rare. So um, as a result of having all this power, 
imbued in the governor's office, it's really important who becomes the governor. So like one of the chief aims of the bird machine was to pull the levers of power to make sure that their people got an office and that a machine candidate was elected governor. And they were largely successful in doing that in election after election. So if I'm getting this right, you have the machine basically having sway over a bunch of local appointments and those local appointments and local elections lead to control over the central uh, executive authority. So we have an idea of the structure of the machine. What about the person at the top of it? Who is Harry Bird? Yeah, Harry Bird uh, was born to a very prominent family. This is like a blue blood Virginia family that goes back to the founding of the Commonwealth. Um, and so after the Civil War, though, the South was in kind of ruins. And so he, in, as a very young man, kind of inherited one of the family businesses, which was the local newspaper, the Winchester Star, which is still around, by the way. Um, and when Harry Bird inherited it as a very young man, it was having huge financial problems. Like it was just not a sustainable business. And part of the reason was debt. And so they, you know, they weren't paying the bills. They also weren't getting the money from advertisers that they were supposed to be getting. So, you know, his job as a very young man who had inherited the family business was to figure out a way for it to operate and to survive. And so he came up with this system called pay as you go. Right. So like this actually becomes very important because this is also how the machine operated is that like a hatred of debt, a pathological hatred of debt, which actually has a lot of origins in what happened to the South after the Civil War, because the, the debt from the Civil War was this huge crushing thing. And so I think you can actually tie his hatred of debt to the position the South was in after the Civil War. So but running the family business he decided that he would drive all the way to the factory where they got their paper like every day. And he would pay that day's bill to get the huge roll of paper that they would need that day to do the press run. So he would go there, pay that day's bill. There was never any debt involved when he ran the business and he would buy as much as he could, which was one day's worth of paper, come back to the newspaper office, print that day's paper, do a round of bill collecting in terms of collecting money from all of the advertisers, and then turn around and do it the same thing, do the same thing the next day and go drive all the way to the paper company, which by the way was like in Antietam, Maryland, right? Like wasn't even in Virginia. It was a very long drive, especially for this time period. But he felt like that was the most responsible way to run this business. And he saved the newspaper, which, as, as I say, is still around today um, because Harry Bird saved it as a young man when he inherited the struggling family business. And he adopted this model, pay as you go, to save the newspaper. That was successful. And he ended up building a political career around that philosophy. So talk to me about his entry into the political world and how he gets control of this uh, political machine. Well, he served a term in local government on the Winchester City Council um, and then is elected to the state Senate as a very young man. Keep in mind, you know, the, the, fam the name actually had a lot of resonance because like his father was the Speaker of the House. And, you know, his ancestor was one of the leading families. And so just having his last name 
gave him, you know, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, you could say, but it was a tarnished antique silver spoon because of the, you know, financial situation that Virginia was in at the time. So he is in the state Senate at a time when one of the hotly debated topics was transportation, specifically the horrible state of the roads in Virginia. The roads were just like muddy pits of craziness, right? And it actually became an issue because of technological advances with these new things people were driving around called automobiles. And the wealthy people who were buying automobiles needed good roads to drive them on. So the debate in the Virginia Senate at that time was, how do you go about building these roads? Do you take on a lot of debt or do you pay as you go? And from our discussion that we were just having, it's obvious where Harry Byrd fell on that debate. And there, you know, he actually worked his way into having a statewide referendum on the proposition that Virginia would either borrow a lot of money to do road building or Virginia would pay as you go. So he actually built a name for himself as a state senator working the politics on this referendum to tell voters all over the state that the roads should be constructed on this proposition that Virginia should pay as you go. So he builds actually a huge profile for himself campaigning for that referendum that he then turns around to use in his campaign for governor in 1925. And one of the main reasons that he is elected governor is because he laid the groundwork by campaigning on that statewide referendum on how transportation should be funded. What is the political landscape that leads to Byrd, you know, the governor in the 20s, becoming the kingmaker for the next 50 years, right? What sets the stage for machine politics to control Virginia in the first place? Well, so the, one of the really interesting things that I wanted to do with the book is lay the groundwork for how the bird machine came to be, because it didn't just spring from nothing. As it turns out, Virginia has a long and complicated history of political machines dating back to the 1800s. So right after the Civil War, there was a political machine in Virginia run by this guy, William Mahone, who was a readjuster. So this once again goes back to this topic of debt. Um, the After the Civil War, there were two camps of thought about what should happen with the debt. You either paid it off. That's what the kind of blue blood conservative types wanted. You know, the Byrd's ancestors essentially were among the group of people that said, pay, pay it off. The responsible thing to do is pay it off. Then there was these other people who were pr more progressive, more reform-minded, and they said, no, 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 don't pay off the debt, readjust it. And by readjusting the debt, you could keep more of the money and use it to fund things like improving the school system, uh, criminal justice reform, getting rid of the whipping post, ending the poll tax. These are all things that the, the progressive wing here of the, the political establishment, the readjuster party did, and it was run by this guy, William Mahone, ironically, former Confederate general, William Mahone, who helps black people get elected. <laughs> so, I mean, William Mahone is a fascinating character because he goes from being a Confederate general to leading the readjuster party, which helped black people all over Virginia get elected to the General Assembly and Congress and doing all of these very progressive things like getting rid of the poll tax and 
getting rid of the whipping post as a more as a form of punishment and investing in the school system and he does this in a ruthless and autocratic way and he forces state employees to contribute to the machine he forces federal employees to contribute financially to the machine he makes people sign documents saying that they would support specific candidates in specific races he exacts revenge on people when they don't do what he wants them to do and so his tactics were really ruthless and horrible um and he actually wasn't really in power all that long, but the conservative blue blood Democrats looked at his tactics. Well, they looked at his issues and they said, those are horrible issues. We don't agree with those. We don't, we would never want to do those things. However, those tactics, I mean, they're ruthless and autocratic, but gosh, do they work? And so after William Mahone and the readjusters are defeated, the Democrats said let's adopt some of these some of these tactics here and create our own political machine and that was the creation of the Martin machine Thomas Staples Martin was a railroad guy and he used railroad money to finance his rise to power and the creation of the second political machine in Virginia the Martin machine so eventually Martin dies, and there's this power vacuum, and there's this young state senator who's just made a name for himself on pay-as-you-go when financing the roads in Virginia. And so he inherits the political machine. So the Byrd machine is really interesting because Harry Byrd didn't create it. He inherited it, and then he crafted it to be what he wanted it to be. What did he want it to be? Well, he wanted uh, you know, fiscal responsibility. Um, he did not like this idea of borrowing, um, very conservative in terms of he did not like the New Deal and he did not like what Franklin Roosevelt was doing that was a you know progressive and expensive and it was a lot of state power and state money and he didn't like any of that, right? So I mean like he was really of the mindset that the government that does the least is the government that does the best, right? And so the whole concept of the New Deal was just totally anathema to the, his way of thinking. So he, um, in his later years, you know, he similarly opposed the, the Johnson administration and all the great society stuff that Johnson wanted to do. And so, you know, over his career, he, you know, was against a lot of big government programs. Like he didn't believe in big government programs. Michael Pope is a journalist and the author of The Bird Machine in Virginia, The Rise and Fall of a Conservative Political Organization. You're listening to Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for a changing Virginia. Visit us online at bolddominion.org. You can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are served up. Go ahead and subscribe and uh, leave us a nice review while you're there. Bold Dominion is a member of the Virginia Audio Collective, online at virginiaaudio.org. Check out all the podcasts from the Collective. From science, to history, to music, to community affairs, we amplify the voices of people in our community and help them tell stories that matter. You can listen and subscribe at virginiaaudio.org. And we're back with Michael Pope, a journalist and the man who wrote the book on the bird machine in Virginia. For the rest of our conversation, we take a look at more of the bird machine's history and how we can still feel the effects of that one-party rule in the modern day. And then, of course, the whole thing 
kind of takes a downfall after Brown versus Board because the you know once the Supreme Court orders desegregation of schools, the Bird Machine response to that was massive resistance that they would rather close public schools than integrate them, and that was the, essentially the downfall of the the Bird Machine. So what happens there? Why does massive resistance in the 60s lead to the collapse of the bird machine? Well, people had kind of moved on. You know, like there there clearly was an element of people in Virginia that agreed with Bird and did not want to see schools being desegregated. But there was a huge demographic shift in that time period. You had people coming to Virginia that did not share these views of white supremacy and did not like the systemic racism that was inherent in massive resistance, and they disagreed with that. Um, meanwhile, the Republican Party, which had been totally moribund, was finally getting getting somewhere. You know, like they could campaign on those racist Democrats. Um, it actually is really astounding today when we think about our current you know, political dynamics, it's like totally reversed from what you would think of uh, today, because at this time, the Democrats were the racists and the Republicans were the ones that were campaigning against racism. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of upside down than what a lot of people would assume based on our current use of this language. But the, you know, this was a time period after the Brown versus Board decision when the bird machine and the Democrats in Virginia went all in with systemic racism and closing public schools, actually closing the public schools instead of integrating them, and which did actually happen for a period of time. And then there, you know, that came to a head and you had to, the government actually had to accept defeat and reopen the public schools and integrate them. And meanwhile, the Republicans had gained all this this support in the meantime and were able to unseat the bird machine. So, you know, eventually in the late 60s, they were the Republicans were able to elect a Republican as governor of Virginia. And so then that's the death of the bird machine. So the whole, the whole point of the bird machine was determine who gets power in the executive mansion because when Harry Byrd was governor, he did this thing called the short ballot, where instead of electing all these people, we'll give the governor the power to appoint all these people. And so Virginia is, has today, Virginia has only three statewide elected officials, the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the attorney general. Virginia, used before Harry Byrd was governor, you had a whole bunch of statewide elected officials, people that ran you know, the school system and the financial system and people that did regulation, they were elected officials. Now, there's you don't elect any of those people. The governor gets to make all those important decisions about who is in all of those roles. And so once you no longer have the governor's office, then you no longer have power over the state. And so that's why the election of a Republican as governor in the late 60s, was the death knell of the bird machine. Um, and you can really trace that history to the abysmal failure of massive resistance and this idea that you would close public schools rather than integrate them. That was an idea that was an abysmal failure, and it was the beginning of the end for the bird machine. 
So, you know, you mentioned the short ballot uh, as as one of the sort of long-lasting effects of the bird machine that we still see today. Um, what are some of the echoes of the bird machine that sort of still live in, in Richmond, in Virginia, in, in our political system? Yeah, sure. There, there are a couple things that the bird machine created that are still with us. And then there are other things that the bird machine inherited. And people associate them with the bird machine, but they're really things that they inherited. So I'll give you a, good, a few good examples of this. So today, we still have the short ballot, right? So like there are only three elected officials that are chosen by voters all across Virginia, the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the attorney general. That's a legacy of the bird machine, the short ballot. We still have, we still live with the short ballot today. The person that runs the school system is not a statewide elected official. The person that runs the, you know, the, the regulators at the state corporation commission are no longer elected officials. The cabinet, all those people on the cabinet, none of those people are elected. The governor gets to appoint them all. And so that is actually the ongoing legacy that Terry Bird himself created the, as governor, the short ballot. Then there's also the legacy of underfunding the schools. So as someone who did not believe in big government, he wanted to run things on the cheap. And he did that with the school system for many, many, many years. And so you could look at the current state of the school system in Virginia as suffering pretty severely from decades and decades and decades of underfunding. Uh, in fact, there was recently a report from JLARC that pointed to this very topic. That's a legacy of the bird machine, the underfunding of schools. And then there's this philosophy of pay as you go. I mean, like Harry Bird literally made a name for himself by espousing this philosophy on the campaign trail in that 1920s era referendum to figure out how to finance roads in Virginia. So even today, people in, you know, leaders in Virginia like to talk about how they have a balanced budget and they um they they have to balance the books and which is a little bit of show because they actually there are ways to borrow money but they don't like, they don't like to talk about them so uh the so pay as you go is actually you know a legacy of the bird machine that are that's still with us then there are other things that people kind of associate with the bird machine that they didn't create but they sort of used as they weaponized them okay so for example the all these jim crow rules about voting uh, the bird machine did not create those. They inherited them and they used them quite effectively to have a very small number of people who decided elections. So this benefited them because they, the small number of people in elections made it such that, you know, the winning an election became more manageable and, more controllable. So like controlling the outcome of the elections is one of the key features of the machine. And it's easier to control an election if you have a smaller pool of voters, which the Jim Crow Constitution of 1901 did rather effectively. The bird machine inherited those Jim Crow rules. The other is the open primary. So, so Virginia does not have party registration. There's You don't register as a Republican to vote in the Republican primary. You don't re register as a Democrat to vote in the Democratic primary. The Burr machine did not create this system. They inherited it, but they, they kept it around because it was actually quite useful to them. So, I mean, keep in mind, we're talking about Democrats who oppose the New Deal, Democrats who oppose the Great Society. So in many cases, they were going against what what the Democratic Party wanted. And, and oftentimes they would 
literally seek the support of Republicans. So Republicans knew they weren't going to win in the Byrd era, but they might be able to help the Byrd machine get a conservative Democrat elected. And there are many primaries where you can actually point to victories of conservative Democrats during the Byrd era and and show that Republicans helped conservative Democrats get elected. These are bird machine candidates. And so they did not create the open primary system, but they benefited from it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like the, the, the legacy of the bird machine is in many ways still with us. So the machine is gone, but we have these things that are still with us today. Yeah. It's funny to hear you talk about, you know, pay as you go and, and underfunding schools, uh, because some of the biggest stories that that I know you and to an extent I have covered in the last few months have been, you know, uh, Virginia's um, sort of ongoing budget impasse. Uh, we still don't have a budget for next year. Uh, there's also the, you know, $180 million hole in the education budget. Um, so do you see in, in some of these stories, you know, echoes sort of some sort of ancestral relationship uh, to the the philosophy, the ideology, the uh, uh, the workings of the bird machine. Well, certainly, the I mean, this Jaylark report that recently came out about the sorry state of the schools in Virginia—that's definitely a legacy of the bird machine, no doubt about it. I mean, you can't underfund the school system decade after decade after decade. Um, and not have it have some sort of lasting influence. So the there, the problems that are currently confronting the public schools in Virginia of decades and decades of under you know not being fully funded and the disinvestment in the school system that's definitely a legacy of the Bird Machine. The you you raise this issue of the budget impasse, which is interesting. I would say that's more of a function of our modern tribal politics. So, you know, like if you think about the political dynamics of the current budget impasse, the Republicans are blaming the Democrats and the Democrats are blaming the Republicans. And so if if you're on the campaign trail and you get somebody who says, you know, um, my local school division cannot afford to buy a school bus because you guys haven't passed budget amendments, you can blame the other party. You can be tribal and blame the other party. Um, so the, you know, the, in the bird era, it was all about what happened in the democratic party. And you were either a machine Democrat or an anti-machine Democrat. And so like all the real politics and all the real fighting was, you know, the internal dynamics of what was going on inside of the democratic party. So that's a little different. I, I think the current budget impasse that we've got now is more a legacy of sort of Trump era tribal politics. Well, great. So as we're kind of wrapping up, you know, you have written the book on the bird machine, Michael. Um, are there any, uh, uh, having written it, are there any interesting uh, things that you've noticed or been told in the last few months? Uh, any last takeaways uh, from researching and putting out the book now that you feel like are worth sharing? Well, you know, one of the interesting responses that I've gotten after writing this book and speaking about it at public events is that oftentimes people will come up to me and they'll say, how do I do this? Or, or in other words, like, I, you know, I want my political party to be this powerful. How do we go about recreating this? <laughs> which I hadn't expected. Um, and I've found myself in the role of advisor, which is not really something that I do. But um, I, I actually 
don't think that it would be possible to recreate the power of the bird machine. Like, take their issues off the table for a second. Like, if, if you wanted to recreate the tactics of the Mahone machine or recreate the tactics, not the issue portfolio, but the tactics of the bird machine, how would you go about doing that? And I would say that's impossible because in our modern political world, political parties are not as powerful as they used to be. Political the political establishment is not as powerful as it used to be. Just like in the last 10 years, you know, we have seen candidates get elected by campaigning against the establishment. And this, these are very powerful words on the campaign trail is that if you attack the establishment of your own party, you're often get elected on a platform of opposing the establishment of the party that you're running for. So like that would have never happened in the bird machine, the bird machine era. Michael Pope is a journalist and the author of The Bird Machine in Virginia, the rise and fall of a conservative political organization. You can hear from him and occasionally from me over on his state politics podcast, Pod Virginia. My name is Arian Ballou and I'm the host of Bold Dominion. Find us online at bolddominion.org. And don't forget to subscribe. It's just a click away.